0: This is kind of echoing what you said last time about paranoia, where people kind of psych themselves out and they get into this mindset where they feel they have to kind of conform to something or do something because they're scared of what the alternative is.
1: This is Chan with The Plan the Podcast, a podcast providing career advice and easy actual steps for frustrated professionals helping you overcome career challenges so you stop feeling confused and defeated and start feeling focused and confident in order to excel in your career. I'm your host, Max Chan. Now let's dive into the episode. Hey, Mila, welcome to the show.
0: Hey, so nice to see you again.
1: Yeah, for sure, likewise. How did that uh, LinkedIn Live go? Was there a live response afterwards?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And even Jess texted me earlier saying that one of her coworkers checked it out and thought it was really cool. So I was happy to hear like, word of mouth is still very much a thing.
1: (laughs) Yeah. With all the digital stuff, like like online ads, word of mouth is still one of the strongest forms of marketing because there's already trust involved and they're more likely to buy, right? Like a good portion of my clients come through referrals, which is again, word of mouth, whether it's people that have saw my content, but never use me, they would recommend me just based on my content. And then the other way would be, I have happy clients that end up referring me to one of their friends or people in their network. So again, like the word of mouth is always the strongest, influencer compared to the other cold tactics, like Facebook ads or SEO or other forms of marketing slash advertising. And I had Jessica on a few weeks ago, and I know that you are also a business owner in the form of copywriting. You also do some acting and modeling as well. So I wanted to get you on because the big disruptor right now is AI. I am a career coach, but I also write resumes. And some resume writers might be a little uh, nervous with AI. There's a lot of content out there saying, oh, this is how to create your resume using ChatGPT, right? So people think resume writers think that they're going to be extinct because eventually these people will just use AI to write their resume instead of hiring a resume writer. But obviously, I've also heard stories about how recruiters know if someone if a resume is AI-generated compared to someone who's actually wrote it by hand, which goes back to that you can't get AI to completely do it for you. you like, they can assist with you to give you foundation, but you still have to like write it for yourself, right? So that's why I want to talk to you today about copywriting and how disruptive AI is with copywriting. So before we get into that, why don't you tell my audience about your copywriting career so far in terms of how you got into it and how have you built the business that you have today?
0: It's really interesting. When I first got into writing, it was actually traditional journalism back when I was doing my bachelor's, but then I really quickly realized that I didn't like it. And so I kind of wanted to experiment through different avenues. And I was freelancing for a long time before I was doing a lot of magazine writing. I was even a theater critic at one point. And I just was everywhere trying all sorts of different genres and working with different kinds of brands and people. And it was really good in a way because it really encourages you to adapt to a lot of different writing styles and to also really broaden your horizons, learn different perspectives. And to really connect and empathize with other people like when you do your interviews or even when you're just interacting with them. And that's how you get inspiration or just experiencing things in everyday life, right? And so that was sort of the thing for a while. And then when I finished my bachelor's, I did some, like, as a managing editor, I did work for a, a magazine for the summer And then after that, I went back to do my, like, it's like a professional certificate for brand journalism. And the funny thing about that is that the name of that certificate over the course of the year that I was there to complete it was constantly changing its name. It went through many different names. So it was at one point like content marketing, and then it ended up being like omni-channel and content marketing it's like this really like long title too it's somewhere uh, on my certificate but I completely forgot what it was and I don't know where my certificate is but anyways and then I went corporate and so I was working as a brand journalist at a healthcare union and then after that I decided that I wanted to try my hand at the whole freelancing thing again And so for the past couple of years, I, you know, was really like just doing my best to build a clientele until I, you know, got to the point when I realized, oh, there are actual content agencies. And because we were talking about Jessica before, the funny thing about her is that her brother and I went to school together. We went all through like primary, middle, high school together and we're the same age. She's like, I think a year or two older than us. And so during that time, like I barely knew her. We never really like interacted all that much, but in the past year or so, because I was also really trying to connect more with people on LinkedIn and trying to gain more insights and really wanting to understand how to like market myself properly and just getting into, you know, all the negotiations and not only learning and taking in what others have to say, but also being able to form my own opinions and being a critical thinker and figuring out how am I going to present all of this in a way that's compelling and that's kind of galvanizing for people who would probably want to respond back and, you know, kind of create that community with you and so I feel like this past year especially was really transformative for me in that regard because it also led to me finding out that some of my other friends who I went to school with also started their own content agencies and so getting in touch with them about those things at first I was a little bit nervous thinking oh you know I don't want something like this to potentially ruin friendships or anything like that But I I don't think it can. I think as long as you know what your boundaries are, if you're able to kind of separate like what's the sort of business administrative stuff of things and what can be left for casual friendship, creating bonds sort of things, then it's fine. And I, I feel like I've really gotten way more into copywriting, but also copywriting. It's not just oh, you know, you're only writing copy for a website or you're just doing like slogans and stuff like that, right? There's a lot of different things that you could do with it. And it doesn't all have to be promo. It doesn't have to be too salesy all the time. You can still be very humanistic about it. You can still very much... And, you know, you're also being genuine about it because and you have to be because if you have like are principled and if you really do have certain values that you want to be reflected in your brand and what you do for people around you, then, of course, it's going to be reflected in your writing and whatever other content that you put out there for people to see. And that's ultimately how you're going to get them to want to. Build with you, to invest in you, and to advocate for you before others, right?
1: So, you started off with like going to corporate, right? And copywriting, and then you wanted to venture into freelancing. So, what was the turning point where you decided to give freelancing a shot and leave the corporate world behind?
0: I think it's because, you know, there's this old mindset where it's better just to stick with one company. especially if they're giving you all these different benefits and it might be hard afterwards to try and find somebody else and to convince them to hire you or to give you the time of day just for any reason whatsoever. And you become so used to the kind of work that you do for one company that you don't stop to consider, you know, what if this gets disrupted somehow? One day, you know, and look at now, for example, hybrid work is on the rise. Freelance work is on the rise. Gigs and all of this sort of thing is very much booming right now, especially like post COVID. And I said to myself, you know what, even though this seems hard right now, and to be honest, and this is kind of echoing what you said last time about paranoia, where People kind of psych themselves out and they get into this mindset where um, they feel they have to kind of conform to something or do something because they're scared of what the alternative is and they're not thinking about, okay, well, what are like potential positive outcomes as opposed to like just the negatives, right? And honestly, you know, challenge, risk taking, it's all kind of part of it. You know, how are you supposed to grow? How do you build your character if you don't? Anyway, to answer your question. So I said, you know what? I'm going to give this another chance. I really want to try and really take in and, you know, expand beyond the world, like my four walls. Right. Because everything is going to look a certain way. If you're convincing yourself to think that way and if you're just kind of stuck in a certain environment that you're used to, once you go out there and you actually go network and not just digitally, but actually going out to these different events or even just to meet up with somebody somewhere or to do some kind of collaboration, especially in my case with the whole acting and modeling thing. Like when you go out, even if you're just doing test shoots, you're doing creatives or some kind of like passion project, whatever there are so many revelations that you can have from that. And also just being out there to be around people in general, I think really makes a big difference for the psyche as well and your mental health and just like remembering how to socialize because I feel like, especially being cooped up for as long as we have been, I feel like sometimes we kind of lose that a little bit you know, mixed in with the fear of the unknown and the future and all of that, as opposed to, you know, maintaining some form of neighborliness and community, like what they used to do back in the day. And that was kind of how they survived, right?
1: Yeah, for sure. And Tell us how, about how you started landing your first like, few clients. So You told us briefly about your story about Jessica and how you and her brother went to the same school. So there was a warm network. And you also told us that you had some friends that were starting content agencies. So you were getting some work that way. But how else did you generate business in the first couple of years?
0: I guess with my first attempt at freelancing through school, in a sense, it was kind of easy to find out about jobs because, you know, once you go to student publications, for example, and you get to know some of the writers and the editors and other such people in these, how do you say it in English? I completely forgot. Like these, like, like firms, I guess. And you go and whether you're volunteering or, you know, getting paid some kind of honorarium or even possibly even, you know, making something kind of substantial, you get to talking with them And you learn about, like, who they've, you know, written for. And so, you know, you try submitting to and seeing if that works out. Like, there are, like, news bulletins. There's magazines, online print. There's other newspapers um, that they've, you know, done internships for or done, like, part-time writing for or volunteering and stuff like that. And that's kind of how you, that was one of the ways that you could, like, learn about those and, you know, shoot your shot and see what happens. And even if it's not a long-term thing, even if it's not totally sustainable, at least you could have something for your portfolio. So like for the first little bit, it was a little more like that. And then you saw a rise in not Craigslist. It was like, indeed, I think Glassdoor was what it was called. And a bunch of those, you got to learning about a lot of those, because again, like a lot of students would talk about them, and they would like recommend them to you. And even just as a side note, when you go to university or college or whatever, it is a totally different world from high school, you're having people from all walks of life. So you're bound to hear about opportunities. And there are so many different clubs and uh these memberships whatever that give you access and even some like programs like as you're studying for example I knew people who were actually in the professional writing program I wasn't I was in criminology but they also would get a lot of opportunities like through those classes Kind of like how like actors, for example, through the drama programs, whatever, they kind of would get similar opportunities as well, like for auditions and to do, to create student films and stuff like that. Yeah. So that was definitely, those are some of the, definitely some of like the biggest ways that I was learning about opportunities and kind of building from there and working with like fellow students as well on their projects that could definitely help you like get more exposure, get your stuff noticed, but also just getting your personality and for people to like see you as well, the person like behind the computer screen. As for coming out of corporate and going back into freelancing the second time, as you were saying, it was pretty much just trying to reconnect or to properly connect with people that like I knew about and then discovering like more about and like yeah learning about a lot of opportunities through them and kind of the brands that they work with and eventually from there you just kind of you know you either gain the confidence or gain the inspiration to kind of go out and see and social media is also really helpful in that regard especially because you know the algorithm and all that it more or less knows what you want to see or whatever. And so you do end up coming across a lot of other companies for copywriting. And in your case, I imagine like resume writing, you learn about a lot of other people advertising themselves on there too. And they're probably looking for people to help them with, you know, certain services. And it kind of just goes from there. Right.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And The other thing I want to ask you is in regards to how do you position your yourself in the marketplace for copywriting? Because there's a lot of copywriters out there. For example, like resumes could be like 100 bucks to 400. Then you can start getting to career coaching alongside the resume service. So then you're going to thousands of dollars. So how do you differentiate yourself compared to the other people in the marketplace?
0: It's an interesting question. I kind of develop almost a sort of persona. It does kind of come a little bit from what I do on YouTube as well and so I play a little bit more to into like character and being a little bit more stylistic and like play on more on my creativity because it's, it's true and as you say there are a lot of people and you know this isn't to knock anybody who does this but Nevertheless, you know, trying to give some reassurance, there are a lot of people who feel like they have to market themselves a certain way, like a trendy way in order to sort of fit the mold that people are looking for. But the reality is, you know, you you don't have to market yourself to please a whole bunch of people or to like, you know, increase your likelihood because as soon as you tries to, to please everybody, you please no one, right? It's better for you to focus on, first of all, like what are your goals? What are your values? And therefore, what are the kinds of people that and companies that you want to work with? And you have to look at who wants to invest specifically in a certain type of copywriter or whoever it is that's in question, right? You have to look at it through the lens of they want to invest in you for you and for what you can do, right? There definitely are companies out there who are just kind of looking for expendable writers or any other creative types, right? Just to be able to like fulfill a quota or whatever. But then you have those who really want to invest in somebody that they can have a relationship with and they can build that kind of rapport with and that somebody who a really understands what their brand is all about. And B in turn, they really like what they do and they feel that they are a really good fit. And so you can kind of, you know, create strategies together and really collaborate Because if you're just somebody that's there to fulfill a position, a lot of the times, and certainly this is how it was for me in the past and for a lot of us, and I imagine for you too, so you can relate, they would say, oh, you know, we are open-minded and we like creative types, whatever. But the reality is they kind of just want you to do things a certain way. They might allow for a little bit of input, but ultimately they're kind of looking for something in particular. Whereas if you could get to a point where somebody took an interest in you for you, then I would say, you know, you're in for a good time, right?
1: Yeah. Go back to what we said, right? Like it's all about the riches are in the niches, but that's the saying because like when you're trying to be somebody to everybody, you become like nobody, right? So I definitely agree in terms of like niching down because then you have a target market that you can serve. And then in terms of like, getting people to know you, that you talk about your YouTube channel, like I create content on LinkedIn and people reach out to me because by me expressing myself through my content, in a way they kind of develop a relationship with me without even without ever directly talking to me because of the way I write my content, they feel that connection and that will help like improve your relationship building and make selling a lot easier.
0: Exactly. And also to add to your point, because it's an excellent one they're getting to know who you are right away without pretenses, without any kind of facade. They know what you're all about. They know your style of writing. They know what kind of language that you use. They know how and in what way you want people to participate with you. And like you you want people to be commenting and engaging. Like you want to have that kind of, you want to have that discourse with people. You know, you really want to, create knowledge and build upon something that people can be a part of and, you know, be kind of impactful about it. And that's really what you want. You don't want to be in a place where you are replaceable and unmemorable and therefore you lose value. And and that's why going back to what I said in the beginning, and this is at least somewhat true. Don't chase after whatever the next trend is It's always much more worth it to be yourself and to work on that. Yes, it's hard, but it's more rewarding and it makes you a better person as well, as opposed to if you're just taking the easy way out all the time. I do feel like, in a sense, you're losing your humanity if you do that. And really, it's the saying that you had, like the riches are for the niches. I'm going to steal that.
1: I really love that. Well, song. I didn't make, that's a popular phrase. i like, like, don't credit me for it. Like, I, I've heard it like numerous times, like from other people, right? Yeah, that's what I hear. But yeah, I, I
0: It's still so true because what you ultimately want is for people to vouch for you. You want supporters, you want patrons, like this is what you don't want to happen. Like, I know it sounds really cool to have like millions of followers or I don't know how many clients, like hundreds or thousands, whatever. It all sounds great. But the reality is, are most of those people still going to be around right? A lot of them are probably just going to ask you to do something for them once or twice, for example. And that's the end of that, right? They're not always going to stay around. But, but the ones that do stick around are the ones that really know you, they really care about you, and they know that you care about them. And so it's better to just continue nurturing that, as opposed to wanting to be something different for everybody. And that's exhausting too, for you. like. You can not do that.
1: Yeah, exactly. And going back to what you said about don't always go f- jump onto the next trend. Like, I've been on LinkedIn since May of 2020, and I see a lot of people like pivoting businesses when they haven't really stuck it out for a long period of time. Like, I think the main statistic, so to speak, is that businesses need at least five to 10 years before they really become like super profitable. That's at least from what I heard. And I see like these coaches like changing their business model. They go from like career coach to then business coach, as example, or they may change their target market or they go from becoming a career coach and they sell marketing services. Like they're all over the place. They're trying to grab the next big thing. Like there was a one person on LinkedIn. She did a lot of financial stuff. Right. And now she turned herself into a TikTok coach. And yes, from what I could see on their LinkedIn, she is making good money. But like how long is TikTok in the last? Right. Like financial a coaching or advisement is like a lifetime skill that everybody needs that like TikTok right now yes people need TikTok right now but it could fall on the wayside eventually right especially since it's a Chinese app there has been a lot of talk of banning it so again like you should stick to something that has long-term growth not just try to yeah. grab the dollar when it's hot
0: exactly you know I want to reiterate kind of what I was saying before but also clarifying about like not having all of your eggs in one basket what I mean by this is You do want to have different streams of income just to be able to, you know, keep afloat. But also, here's the thing. You have to know why you're opening up these different streams of income. Like if you decide you want to have your own podcast, you decide that you want to have your own, I don't know, production company or something like that. You have to have a sense of why you're doing that. How do do your life experiences, how does your skill set, how does your education your business goals, whatever, how do all of these things play into that? You know, how are these different avenues going to support you? And how are they going to benefit your audience? That's what you have to consider. And I mean, these things in and of themselves, even are not necessarily trends, you know, I do think that they can be like, viable and sustainable sources of income and you know commerce and what have you it's just a matter of figuring out like what your brand narrative is and figuring out what kind of impact you want to have and what do you want to see your community doing you know with what you've got going and like your resources whatever like that's what you should be paying attention to As opposed to, okay, you know, let's say you have your podcast, but then with your podcast, you're just following blindly all these different trends of, oh, you know, people are doing this now. Like maybe you should do that on your podcast, whatever, like all of a sudden. And you kind of like lose a sense of who you are and then your audience will notice that as well. And it might be jarring for them. I think something like with this whole Barbie mania, I think like it's a cute idea and it's fun. It doesn't have to be like your entire podcast, your entire YouTube channel or whatever, but just to kind of have a thing dedicated to it is fine. As long as you're not overdoing it with following trends. I think that having some kind of mix of trends that are enduring, mixed in with those that are a a little bit more new, I think it's okay. I think I said this to somebody too, or we had this conversation where it's better to try out and to kind of stick with like a select few trends that you find are working for your business specifically, as opposed to just sort of dropping everything else and then sticking to the one thing that just came out today And then who knows how long that's going to be there for, right? Because there are trends that are short term, there are trends that are, you know, long term, or they could evolve into something stable. And again, it all depends on the user. Like, how do you make of it? You know?
1: Yeah, speaking of like capturing trends, like going back to the Barbie example, a lot of marketers are leveraging like barbie is like oh this is how much barbie made or like this these are some marketing lessons you can learn from barbie like a lot of these marketers are trend jacking on like the hottest thing right now which is barbie right yeah like they're just getting cheap views i don't think it really does much to their bottom line they're just getting cheap views that doesn't really mean much like for me like one of the things that i've learned and from talking to other LinkedIn content creators is the post that go viral. They never get any business from it. It's the ones that are very niche down that give practical advice. That's where they get the leads.
0: Exactly. And, you know, as a Barbie fan myself lifelong, right? I mean, you've had people over the years, for example, on YouTube, those who specialize in like pop culture, those who specialize in reactionaries and video essays and what have you like you know, they've been talking about Barbie and whatever else that has been in like the pop cultural lexicon for a really long time. So, you know, adding to your point, it's not as if the Barbie marketing strategy is anything new. It's always been around. It's just that some of these media outlets, as you were saying, are now capitalizing on it and are trying to kind of make something with it when really it's not going to last for them because, Um, they're not usually the place that people would go to for that kind of coverage. Like it's very unusual for them. They're used to seeing a certain type. So again, it's either it's going to be off putting or it's just not going to have people stick around like new people, like sticking around like much longer. Right. And so it's better to just, you know, have your little fun, like, you know, everything in moderation, but ultimately keep things consistent.
1: Yeah, exactly. And and going to like trends and highlighting your value proposition and like competitors. So let's talk about like the big thing right now, which is AI, which is what we introduced our discussion today about. Yeah, yeah, so AI, copywriting, people can can just like Write, write prompts on ChatGPT, for example, and say, write me a LinkedIn post about like ABC and then they'll write something. And then sometimes they won't even bother editing it. they just like copy and paste it, right? Okay. So have you seen a disruption in your business when ChatGPT first launched and people were starting to use it? Or were you not affected that much because you were able to sell yourself and build your brand that it wasn't really a competition?
0: It's an interesting question. And I think it ultimately depends on like, what spheres are you in, and who you're marketing yourself towards? Like, I find that I myself have not seen much of a difference, and I think it's because I'm very lucky that the majority of the people that I'm surrounded by, and even people who are not directly in my industry, understand that you know there are potential concerns with this new technology and that we should not just immediately be jumping on the bandwagon. And then you do have sort of this like fear mongering coming from both sides. Like you have one side that's so paranoid and so scared that this thing is just going to eventually like take over all of our jobs. And then you have the other side that's really encouraging people to take this on because they believe that those who use this will still be able to thrive in their industry and make more money and still be able to have like time to do things. I mean, it's a really a complex issue. There is definitely a lot to unpack there. I don't know how much we'll be able to do in this one episode, but we'll try to do a little bit of magic And we'll see.
1: Yeah, for sure. And right now, as of this recording, there's that writer strike right now. And one of the things that they're discussing about is limiting the use of AI in script writing because there's a fear, again, going back to fear-mongering, they think that these big studios will start replacing these writers with AI tools to help them write scripts.
0: Absolutely. I mean, with big companies, it doesn't surprise me. Like the really funny thing is, At first glance, someone might think, oh, it's going to be the studios and the companies that don't really have all that much money that are going to try and capitalize on this, while the big studios, they have all the money in the world, they don't care. I don't think that's so much the case. I do think that once you get past a certain threshold, it kind of gets to your head a little bit. And we've seen it time and time again throughout human history, like those that have the most money you know, it's a predictable pattern, right? They're going to find ways they're going to cut corners to be able to make more and to, you know, maintain that sort of control and divide. But I do think that there is a silver lining with this, there are good things that are going to come out of this. And even things that We're always sort of there, but I guess we kind of took them for granted before. But for example, we're going to see a boom in independent studios who do have empathy and who do understand like things like ethics and are also kind of logical about this stuff, who are going to be willing to work with like humans. You know, we're going to see a rise even more so in live performances. I personally think we're going to be seeing even more print advertising again. Like basically things that have always just been kind of secondary for a while. I, I find that because there's a like a market for people that see value in things that were made by humans and they understand that originality, creativity, complex emotions and experiences and all kinds of different things that we ourselves came up with, these cannot be replaced by AI and therefore they're going to be willing to continue investing in that. Like for example, there are still people who buy vinyl records. There are still legal firms that use typewriters, right? Because they see either they see a value in that. They have a certain pride in still being able to use these things. But I also heard apparently type, typewriters are actually more effective than computers for like a certain like document that they make. I'm not hundred percent sure. Cause I'm not in the legal industry. So don't quote me on that. That's just something that I've heard. You're still seeing people going out to the theater, even movie theaters, like movie theaters get packed like for superhero films, right? You still have people who buy like physical books, myself included you still have people who connect and relate to others. And when they see something, read something or, you know, witness something that was written or made or painted or what have you by somebody else, they are so fascinated by it. It invokes emotions. They want to know like, how was this made? Why was this made? What does it mean? Or trying to find the deeper meaning in something. And especially when it's now granted, much like how there are people who try to be original, there have been those who don't and you kind of see copy and paste sort of, you've heard that before, right? Where you see a lot of like an oversaturation of a certain genre or a storyline or something like that.
1: Yeah. Fishing. Yeah. I know fishing. Yeah
0: yeah, and like the phone calls and stuff like that, like that's even gonna get even worse, because there currently are little to no regulations. They're working on it, which is a good thing in all the countries. But right now, people will get much better at scamming, and then potentially committing fraud. And then, you know, getting you to click on things, which will result in like hacking and security uh, breaches and data breaches and all kinds of stuff like that. And it's going to essentially make the internet un- uh, even more unsafe than it is now, right? Like I get nervous about paying for something online, let alone having some scammer like send me something. What if I accidentally open it? And then who knows what it's going to do, right? Right. Like, you know, that's going to become a really big issue as well. And then another thing, of course, identity theft, plagiarism, these are all really big issues.
1: Yeah. And going back to what you said about it's about creating an experience and AI doesn't really give you that experience. Like going back to what you said about like the vinyl records, right? I saw an article a couple of weeks ago where... Taylor Swift released one of her re-recordings of her old albums and there was a vinyl edition of it and there was a huge lineup to get the vinyl record. So it, it goes back to like building your brand and building an experience with your product. Uh, another example would be watches, right? Like we have our smartphones that can tell time, but people still want a watch to tell time, even though it's not logical because the watch gives them an experience. It's Some people collect watches, similar with stamps, right? Like are so people collect stamps as well. So I think AI will like assist people, but ultimately you have to sell an experience that makes them want to like work with you and engage with you. And that's ultimately what every human wants is that engagement and human interaction and feeling connected with who they're interacting with.
0: Exactly. And it's also a big wake up call, I would say to people and to let them know that they really have to push themselves to see their full potential and to become better writers, to become better dancers or what have you, right? Because this stuff is really just meant to be kind of like a guidepost, like with any technology, right? I mean, obviously AI is like a step above the usual machinery that we have, dishwashers, whatever. But ultimately, like the sentiment is still very much the same, and again, ironically, it's gonna get people to do a lot more things offline. We're gonna be seeing a lot more of that. And I, I do think we're solely gonna start seeing like people really like interacting more beyond just you know the computer screen again, and to really just go out and to experience people like doing all of these amazing things that we were always capable of doing and you know, have that entertainment, have that insightfulness. You know, there's always going to be takeaways. And really, like, when you think of, it, like, analogies as well, like we on LinkedIn know this. Oftentimes, the best LinkedIn posts come from people using analogies cleverly, like things that they heard from somebody that they thought was really interesting or something that they experienced or they play a sport or something like that. And they're able to like take something and then relate it to their job or whatever it is they're trying to teach their followers that maybe even we might have never thought of and we're like oh my gosh that's actually really smart and then you really have to think about like how do they make that connection you know like it really does cause you to think and again like unless we're feeding this stuff to the AI it's not gonna know that not to mention like it doesn't have context it doesn't have like nuance it doesn't understand things or is able to make connections the same way we do or we can or to just really like think outside the box right it's always just gonna be so very generic
1: <laughs> go by the way you said about like People are getting tired of interacting via computer. One of the things about podcasting that's getting more popular is in-person podcast recordings. Statistics have shown that the podcasts that are in-person tend to have higher engagement and higher watch time compared to the Zoom-style podcast where you have like the dual screens side by side and then they switch between people. It seems like people are just getting tired of these because it's oversaturated. You see a lot of Zoom-style podcasts. And you don't see a lot of those like in-person because in-person seems like it's a TV show, right? So they they feel it's higher quality and they want to watch it more compared to a a Zoom style podcast that we're doing right now, unfortunately. But uh, over time, like I can have you in the next episode. Maybe I'll have a studio and then you can come in person. But uh, for now, I'm I'm building it up and we'll have to make do with virtual podcast.
0: Exactly. And it's almost like you're watching improv or you're watching a radio show, except it's you know, live, you're actually seeing the people, you have the visual, right? Like, there, there's so many ways to take that. And I can't tell you how many times I've seen people say, like, wow, I'm so excited because my two favorite people are going to be collaborating on a podcast. They're actually going to be like in the same room. Like, what kind of dynamics are they going to have? What kind of jokes are they going to be able to make with each other? you know, are they going to like play games or something like that, you know, and it's harder to do. I mean, you can still kind of do some stuff like that when it's like this, but not to the same extent, you know, and then what if you have to do like a screen share or something, (laughs) it just gets like more complicated.
1: So we shouldn't completely bash the AI, right? Or like technical tools, there are some benefits to it. And I'm sure as a copywriter yourself, you have a tech stack that helps you with like whether it's like project management or help you organize better or better interaction or collaboration with your clients. So what are some of your tools that you use to help improve your copywriting business?
0: I do use, you know, quite a bit like grammarly, Is one of them granted it's not 100 percent accurate especially because it doesn't always take into consideration like the regional dialects like with canadian spelling and whatever but it is like helpful for the most part you know remembering like very little like copy edits that definitely make a difference especially well it doesn't take into consideration the oxford comma that's one thing that bothers me but other than that there are definitely a lot of other tools as well, that you could use that I think are really helpful. I actually have a list here that I can absolutely share. Let me just get that up, because it is actually something that we're going to be talking about on LinkedIn very soon. There's also an active campaign, for example, that I think is definitely really good For those who want to take newsletters to the next level, for example, like you have so many different options and customizables and templates that you could put things together where you're not just writing something out and then that's the end of that. No, like you can still link to trainings, for example, webinars, other resources that you might have that you created yourself that are really useful for people, but also You can share some of the things that you like that you think are essentials or others in your industry that you think are really credible and that are worth checking out. Like it's a really good way to kind of build that community and to build support for others and show that, you know, it's not just about you, but it's about others as well. Uh, For a while, I was using hashtags for my community management, and now it's practically useless at this point. The algorithm does not really favor them for community management really anymore. Like you still want to use them just to have the people in the relevant industries find you for discoverability. But in terms of like going there and to engage with and comment on other people's content, it's really not great because I think LinkedIn is not really at a point yet where it's great at targeting, kind of curating, kind of more of an ideal audience. Like it doesn't have to be perfect, obviously, but to kind of head towards, you know, the people in certain places in certain industries that you want to be noticing you. It's just kind of really random. It's basically the Wild West right now. Uh, so I recommend back to my point. The LinkedIn sales navigator, it's really good because, you know, you get the connections that you want. And, you know, you make lists of like, you know, leads that you want to either reach out to or follow up with. And you can categorize them based on whatever industry that they're in. And it makes it so easy to just find them, go to them and interact with them and kind of keep things consolidated that way, as opposed to just, going to these hashtags and who knows what you're going to get at this point, right? Calendy is also a really good one for scheduling and it cross-references everything that you use, like for scheduling your meetings, whatever. So it avoids, you know, double booking and conflicts and keeping you up to date about all the appointments that you have. Canva is one other really big one that we use for you know, all our graphic design. Of course we do like consult with a graphic designer to get like really personalized and branded stuff, right? That's really unique to us and therefore recognizable. StreamYard. So <laughs> I am thinking about maybe I should switch to Zencaster, but street, like StreamYard I think is really good for when you're going live. It's definitely a competitor to Twitch I personally watch Twitch like for gaming, but I think maybe StreamYard is really good for those of us who are not in like those particular niches, but are a little bit more widespread. Gmail is, you know, another, and I know it's Everybody knows
1: Gmail. Everyone knows Gmail, yeah. yeah.
0: Gmail but it's tried and true like it really is the best one I think that Yahoo is a little bit all over the place right now Hotmail is okay I don't even think it's called Hotmail anymore I think it's called like Microsoft Outlook or something like that like it's constantly changing but I don't use really use that anymore but it's just kind of meh yeah I mean, there's a lot of really good stuff out there.
1: You, pr- you made a good point, right? That like you don't need to spend hundreds of dollars to get started. Just a few tools. like Again, like Gmail is pretty cheap. And if you get Google Business Suite, you get their Sheets. Worth. You basically don't even need Microsoft Office at that point. And it's a much more affordable price. Calendly oh, to schedule God. like calls, right? Canva. If you're not graphic designer with Photoshop or Illustrator, you can always do some like quick template stuff for your copywriting. So you have definitely introduced my audience to like, at least a beginner tech stack for copywriting if they want to get started there. But to like wrap up our conversation, what is some advice that you provide to people listening that are wanting to be aspiring copywriters to help them get started in the right direction?
0: I would say, first and foremost, really own your craft and really develop your style. And what I mean by that is really explore who you are as a person and then in different like places, in your life right like when you're in business mode when you're offline or whatever like you know what's the difference but then how can you also leverage all these different faucets of your life how can all these things be like kind of reflected in your writing how do you make that compromise because I do think that personal branding is really important to a degree obviously like not too much to the point where people kind of forget what you do and what you are in the first place and are just kind of there to be just vibing <laughs> whatever it is that the kids say these days. But just enough that you want people to find you relatable and to see how relevant your thoughts are. And even if they don't necessarily... Relate, Or even if they don't share the same opinion as you, it could really be an eye opener in terms of how many voices there are out there and how many different perspectives. And so how do you reconcile all of that? So going back to what I was saying, like when you're discovering who you are as a writer and what different roles you have in your life, like really like establish those principles yourself and that's really going to make a big difference in how you grow as a writer you know the world is your oyster so many cliches it's so true and you kind of have to decide you know how is all of this going to help me build my brand how is this going to help me become a thought leader create all this content and also really think about When you're using certain platforms, what content is going to be conducive to those platforms? Like what will be appropriate? Because what you do on LinkedIn, for example, might not necessarily work for Instagram or for Facebook, however relevant Facebook still is, or, you know, Twitter, even though Twitter is kind of in shambles right now, these are definitely things you have to consider And even though I did that a lot in this podcast, don't rely on cliches. I think having a play on cliches or catchphrases or stuff like that, like wordplay, I think that it's okay to derive inspiration and not just for little things like that, but for anything that you write, but always find ways to make it your own, do something different with it, kind of respond to it in a way you know, writing, it's very easy for it to become very isolating. If you're not sharing your work, or if you're not taking in what others have to say, or sharing your expertise. And oftentimes, like, a lot of the time, like some of your best writing just comes from having conversations with people. And then, you know, you'll jot it down or something or commit to memory. And you can, you end up creating something out of that. It's, It's almost like, You have to think of it as a conversation, but it also has to be presented a certain way, right?
1: Yeah, for sure. And to wrap up our conversation, I asked this question at the end of my podcast for all my guests. So as you know, my podcast is about helping professionals overcome career challenges, help them get to the next level. So for you throughout your journey in freelancing, copywriting, acting, modeling, what was one big career challenge that you had to overcome to get to where you are today?
0: There have been quite a few, honestly, especially if you're in like the freelance sphere, it's very up and down. And it's something that I don't know will ever truly see stability. And that's why I say like, you know, if you have a knack for something, if you're able to kind of use certain skill sets that you have and apply them in different avenues, and I say, go for it, you know, start that channel that you want or whatever, But with freelancing itself, it's always tough because there are still a lot of people, especially with that corporate mindset that don't fully understand it, especially when it comes to pricing, like for us creative types, for example, like it's even hard explaining to people sometimes, you know, paying by the project, paying by the package, for example, as opposed to paying by the hour, because, you know, Speaking from myself, and I'm sure there are others that will see this the same way, it seems very archaic at this point to pay by the hour because you're not really paying for the time that it takes someone to do something. You're paying for like the the value of the thing itself and what it's going to do for your brand or for your company or whatever. And like the transformations it's going to make and what it's going to do for the customer's journey and for experience and for like the long-term, you know, community outreach and all this kind of stuff, right? Like that's where the investment comes in. You're not just there paying someone to just kind of do something for you and, be, and because of, like, the time it takes, like, like that's not where the value is. And like, the, Because the truth is, we do a lot of things in life that take time, but not all of it is being paid for, right? Even sometimes with work that we do, like, you, you know, we're not always going to be compensated for that. But we do it anyway, right? Whether it's for goodwill or you know, it's something that kind of just has to be part of the job, like whatever the circumstances. But my point being, you know, for example, you have a package of, let's say, in the context of copywriting, you know, the copywriter is going to deliver to you a couple newsletters and some emails and maybe some other copy for, like, your website and for your social media, uh, your video platforms or what have you, right? And you're it's all being presented in a package. And of course, all the things in that package are meant to have the same goal. But the thing is, all these different things that someone writes for you, they're going to have their own purpose, they're not all meant to, like function the same way. Like, yes, You know, the bottom line is they are going towards one common goal for your brand, which is whatever you need your customers to do, depending on what your product or your service is. But each thing is doing something different to have them get to that point. The consumer's voice is far more powerful now than, and I would argue it always hasn't, but people didn't really realize that Now consumers are far more active and proactive and they are very much influencing how we create our marketing than ever before and even you've seen it to the point where people use a lot of consumer generated content on their social channels for example and even on their website and it's not even just testimonials anymore like you have people sending in videos of themselves doing something or using the product or whatever. You see influencers doing that. And all of these things are meant to, again, add to that whole story and experience. And so this is how we kind of have to be shifting in terms of like our creativity and not see it so much as like a very, like cut and dry thing, very calculated, you know what I mean? So... That's something that I I think has to be discussed a little bit more.
1: Absolutely. Again, I appreciate you taking the time, out of your day to come talk to me about copywriting, how to build a copyright business, the destruction of AI. So how can people reach out to you to learn more about what you do and how you can help them, whether it is to help them with copywriting or just give them career advice on how they can become a successful copywriter?
0: Sure. So I guess my main social media at this point would be Instagram creative underscore memes and then LinkedIn if people want to reach out to me over there although I'm not very good at see I say all these things but I'm not actually very good at like posting like my own content that I'm not doing for other people but you know they can check me out there as well the only thing I'm not too sure is do they search you up based on like the URL or do they search you up based on your name? Cause I know with like Instagram and whatever, like you can just give the uh, handle. LinkedIn
1: is based on name.
0: Okay. So then just the Mila M um, M a indicating I have my masters and the little monkey. I added the emoji. I saw somebody use an emoji on LinkedIn and I thought, okay, well I'll just use mine as well to kind of stand out a little bit more. I don't know. <laughs> Seeing how it goes.
1: You got to stand up somehow, right? So the monkey emoji might be your branding statement.
0: Yeah, yeah. It has been for a long time. So I thought, why not? You know?
1: (laughs) Again, I appreciate the time and enjoy the rest of your night.
0: Me too. Thank you so much.
1: i